So the talk for tonight, the first night of the retreat, is on mindfulness as affectionate awareness. For some of you, this might have been the longest day of your life. And it can feel like, uh, I saw a movie recently, Kung Fu Panda 2, and there's a scene where, um, it's actually a great movie, where he's um, trying to find inner peace and he's beating his head and he's going, inner peace, inner peace, I'm trying to find inner peace. And sometimes the first day can feel a little bit like that. If you're not falling asleep, you're banging your head on the wall sometimes. So letting this first couple of days be about settling in, just letting the mindfulness settle into you. Just letting the silence and the container of the retreat seep in. And a lot of times all we need these first couple of days is the willingness to be present. Just the willingness to keep showing up. To come here, to do the sits and the walks like we talked about in the Q&A today. Just keep showing up. The willingness to be present. You don't need a supreme amount of effort. You just need that willingness to not give up. That persistence. And when you keep showing up, the Dhamma does seep in. And sometimes what we can be faced with the first couple days is this sense about doing it the right or the wrong way, or the inner critic. You know, we, we, we take noble silence, but um, unfortunately that doesn't silence our inner thoughts and minds and thoughts about ourself. You know, the self-talk that says you're doing it right, you're not doing it right. You, you know, this is the better way, this is the correct way to do mindfulness, this is the incorrect way. That, it's like that teacher in that Charlie Brown thing where that wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and just to see that, that inner critic, just to be present with, Oh, there's the inner critic. One thing about the inner critic to know for this retreat that might be helpful is, it was useful advice for me, it's don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. It's really not a fair practice. (laughs) What you're feeling inside, what other people looking outside, two different things. So mindfulness, in essence, is what Rebecca alluded to yesterday, was not a non-judgmental awareness. And I'd add to that, letting things be as they are. That might sound really simple. Hey, let things be as they are. I mean, no problem. But it's a very deep practice. And actually, mindfulness is its such an interesting term these days because... Um, it's kind of, uh, the, the popular culture has taken over the word mindfulness. And it, it doesn't really mean anything anymore. You know, people talk about mindful shopping and mindful gambling and <laughs> <laughs> mindful dog walking. And, you know, uh, I've actually even been in a place where they, they asked me to do like a couple hour workshop with staff at this, re- at this um, was an eating disorder clinic. And then 
those people that did the hour workshop were going to then become teachers to their clients. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> you can't learn this in an hour and then teach somebody else. So as a culture, we really don't understand the depth of mindfulness or this affectionate awareness. The important thing I want you to know that tonight is that mindfulness is not something that you do, it's something that you are. So we teach it as a tool or a technique in this retreat, but ultimately you're here to really learn what mindfulness is, and you learn that day after day, you learn that year after year. You know, 27 years later, I'm still trying to understand what it really means to be mindfulness, to be what I am. You'd think it would be really easy. (laughs) But it develops over time. It's like Tai Chi or any of these things that we learn deeply over time. But the good thing is, mindfulness is what you are. You're it right now. So you don't have to practice for 20 years to figure it out. You don't have to wait till the end of the treat to know what mindfulness is. It's this affectionate awareness right now. Learning mindfulness, whether you just begin to touch it and learn what it is, or you deepen your knowledge, you're coming back for many retreats, As you start to embody it, it changes the whole course of your life. And that's why of all the retreats that we do here, this is one of the most important retreats at IMS. Because it really does change the whole course of your life. I learned meditation at 19. And it changed my whole perspective on things. And truly, I I wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for that shift in perspective. Many of my family members have died, committed suicide. So mindfulness really has given me a tool that people and my family don't have. And many practitioners, this is the case. It's a, it's a lifesaver. When I think about affection and awareness, I was reflecting on like what would be a good example for us to feel this. I mean, you already know it, you already are it, but it's giving you an example. And um, about six weeks ago, um, I got a call from a family member saying that my dad had probably about 42 hours to live. And uh, he he had a blood clot and he'd, he'd been sick, so it wasn't a complete surprise. But it's very interesting when you realize you're gonna have your last conversation ever with somebody. And so um, I was preparing my heart and mind for that conversation, and luckily I was able to get through to him on a cell phone. His nurse put me through to him. But I wasn't prepared. Um, I started telling him, you know, having my last conversation. And of course, you know, your last conversation, you're very present. You're not like texting and talking, and <laughs> <laughs> you're not thinking about something else. It's it's like there's really that awareness there, and it's an affectionate awareness. 
even though my relationship with my dad was very mixed, I was able to put aside all that, all the difficulties, just be really present. But when he got on the phone, um, he was only speaking gibberish. So I expected we were going to have a conversation, and I realized that wasn't going to be the case. It was just gibberish and response. So I just dropped a level deeper, and I realized that the, really the, the true mindfulness is heart-to-heart. It's not about the words. And in that last conversation, there was just an ability to feel each other's presence, which is what we're doing here. We're feeling our, our own presence. We're feeling the presence of life, of the birds, of the trees. And that was enough. didn't matter that he couldn't talk back to me. So this affectionate awareness that I had in the last conversation with my father, it's possible any moment. We don't have to wait till we have our last conversation with someone. And, it, and it's really on this retreat, sometimes it's, it's having that curiosity to see what blocks that awareness, that affection, that awareness, that ability to be tender and real with things. A tender realness. So resentment or issues, resentments with my father could have blocked that. You know, when you're here, you can see, you know, what, what blocks, what are my theme songs, as we spoke about in the questions and answers today. Or you, you know, you have like five top, five or ten top themes that just play over and over and over again. <laughs> we like to think we're really unique, but we just, we have like this little jukebox thing going and, you know, a person comes into our life and that theme comes up. And to know what your themes are, it's really good to know. I mean, they, they can change, but generally I see in my work as a therapist that people just like have these repeating patterns. And it's amazing how unconscious they are. You know, like if somebody who maybe, you know, had an abandonment issue at age five and then when they turn a parent and their kid is age five, they're doing the very same thing. And, you know, you point out and they're like, I'll be darned. <laughs> Even though they don't want to do it, we, we repeat these patterns. It's kind of like fractals that just go over and over again. So it's good to know what your patterns are and know what your themes are. Not in a sense of shame or blame, but just to see, oh, I tend to think that people are judging me. Or I tend to plan a lot. Wherever I'm, I'm at, I can't really be here because I'm thinking about the end of the retreat. You know, how you are with your breath is a lot, is a very in a strong indicator of what it's like in your life. If you're with the breath for a minute, then you're off planning. And this is what we do in our life. How, how we are with the breath is how we are with our life. Are we bored? We just don't want to be with it.
And sometimes, you know, on retreat, you could come on retreat and self-knowledge isn't always good news. You know, you can see things you'd rather not see about yourself. But it's that willingness to face it, again, with this, this tender realness. The other day, a woman that I've known for a long time said to me, just face it, Amita, you're a really controlling, anxious person. And I was like, oh, it's that obvious? <laughs> and then it was just kind of, and then it later, another later that week, another friend said, you know, just, you just have to work with your arrogance. It was just like a great week. And so, um, <laughs> but after I was, you know, got over my embarrassment and um, it was like, okay, all right. Arrogance, anxious, controlling, whatever. <laughs> It's just that willingness to face these things. Kind of like taking inventory in a store. It's like, all right, that's what's in my store this week. So knowing what your theme songs are, you know, is it planning mind? Is it dreamy, sleepy mind? Is it obsessing about things? Is it worrying about what you're going to wear? You know, when we first come the first day of retreat, we often have that sleepy, dreamy mind because we run our lives on a lot of false chi energy, you know, coffee, computers. It's just we're a very high stimulation lifestyle that we have. So when we come here, our chi kind of crashes. And it's like Rebecca said um, the other day, it's having our soul catch up with the pace that our life is at. So having an affection awareness with whatever your top five theme songs are. And being willing to stop and just feel. You know, when we start to stop on retreat, we start to see things we didn't really want to feel. Grief, anxiety, boredom, self-hatred, unworthiness fear, restlessness. One of the teachers is going to talk about the hindrances and there's kind of, again, like five, five common hindrances that just, again, they're patterns that just repeat over and over again. And when you can be mindful of those, you can step outside of them and not be lost in them. So one way to be mindful of these Emotions as they're coming up is just to say, okay, boredom is like this. Boredom is like this. Or listening now is like this. Or anger is like this. It's just a sense of holding it and being present with it. Curiosity. Affectionate awareness not judging it. And as was mentioned today, one part of awareness is, um, and mindfulness is your mind, if, if you're working with a difficult emotion, you want to watch your energy. Even a positive emotion, you can start to feel joy and you can go, you can be being mindful and go, joy, joy, joy. You can get really 
you know, that sense of grounding or when things getting too heavy, lightening up. If you don't want your mindfulness to take on the quality of that which you're being mindful of. So if you're watching depression, and I've watched depression a lot in my life, if, you're, if your noting starts to get, or your labeling starts, oh, no, depression, depression, it starts to get heavier and heavier, and it starts to take on, the, the mindfulness itself takes on the quality of what you're noting, then you want to switch to a neutral object, back to the breath, the hands touching, sounds. We talk about mindfulness. Mindfulness is the essential practice of this retreat. This retreat is a Vipassana retreat. And Vipassana actually means a mindfulness or insight or special seeing into three characteristics. It's a special seeing. Vipassana means to see clearly, to see the special way of seeing. And the first characteristic that we're looking at is the unsatisfactoriness or the stress of life. And sometimes when these emotions come up, that's what we're, we're seeing. We're seeing the difficulties, the places that we've avoided. But you don't want to forget the seeing into the other two characteristics, the second one being the impermanence, that things come and they go, anicca or seeing it to the, the no-self nature, the not I, not mine, that you can't find a sense of separate self when you look for it, of the anatta quality. So it's looking at these characteristics, not just looking at the suffering, but looking at how things change, looking at how they're not you, your emotions are not you. Ramana Maharshi had a great way of looking at these characteristics, he said, let what comes come, let what goes go, and see what remains. So when you let everything come, the thoughts, the emotions, you let them go. It's like wind coming in one window, out the other. What remains of you? being aware of that. Last year when I was working uh, as a social worker in dialysis, I was working, um, I work with kidney patients and uh, this one old Hawaiian man was telling me about a traditional way that they look at this kind of practice we're doing. And he said that it's called the bowl of light and they believe that every person is born with a bowl of light in their being, in their heart. And that what happens as we get older is we put stones in that bowl. And eventually, maybe by the time we're in our 20s, the whole bowl is covered with stones. Can't even see the bowl of light anymore. So what we're doing is we're taking the stones out of the bowl one by one, what isn't you, places where you get stuck, patterns. And then you're letting what's true be be known. 
coming back to this bowl of light. You're not creating it. You're just taking away that which covers it over. Letting it, mindfulness is letting things be revealed. The biggest impediment, the biggest rock in the bowl is the trance of your own mind. People talked about this being a vision quest. And in a way, it's really about telling the truth about your mind. You're not your thoughts. And if you want to get more specific, uh, my last retreat I got really, I kept hearing Manindra. Manindra has, um, he and Deepama were kind of contemporaries of the teachers, uh, teachers of the teachers here. And Manindra kept saying, the thought of your mother is not your mother. The thought of your boyfriend or girlfriend that's not here is not them. The thought of anything that's not here is not it. We get so seduced and mesmerized by our thoughts. And if you can remember anything from this talk, the thought of your mother is not your mother. just to start putting thoughts in perspective. If you were going to be really real when you had a thought about somebody that wasn't here, if you were really going to tell the truth, you would make the mindful note imagination. Because that's what it is. I work right now with a combat veteran, American from soldier from Afghanistan. And He's got such severe PTSD that he cannot believe his thoughts. Any thought believing is too dangerous. He doesn't have the luxury of believing his thoughts. And the truth is, we don't have the luxury of believing our thoughts either. It might not be as dangerous because we're not facing severe PTSD, but it's the same thing. What I'm teaching him is mindfulness. And what we have to learn here is mindfulness, not believing. The thought of your mother is not your mother. The thought of something that's not here. It's not it. So then what are you? What are you? If you're not your thoughts, what does that leave? And it's not about going to war with your thoughts. If you go to war with your thoughts and emotions, you'll be at war forever. If you wait for your thoughts and emotions to show you to turn into something better or more enlightened, you'll wait forever. It's not about waiting for thoughts and emotions to change. It's about waking up in the midst of them It's about waking up through them. That's very important to see. Mindfulness can happen in the midst of anything. In the midst of PTSD, mindfulness can happen. Mindfulness can happen 
right here. doesn't matter what's happening. You don't have to wait for a better moment when your mind is relaxed. It's kind of like uh, with your emotions and thoughts, it's like a train. You're in a station, and often you know where that train goes. You know, you don't have to take a thought to the very end of it. You can stop at any time. You know, especially when you start planning, you can be like, okay, let it go, any point. You can decide whether you take that train that shows up at the station all the way to San Francisco, or you can just take it to Hoboken, or you can take it to Chicago, (laughs) or you can just not get on it at all. One meditation that um, I use for when there's a lot happening, and this can be in the beginning of a retreat, you know, again, this idea you don't have to wait for your thoughts and emotions to, to stop. As you could imagine, and if you want, you can imagine this now, like a wheel, a wheel spinning, and the outside of it might be moving very fast. Lots happening on the outside of a wheel, right? A lot of feelings, thoughts, emotions, things moving. But then take the center, go take one of the spokes of the wheel, the wheel of your being, and take that spoke in all the way into the center. What's it like at the center of who you are, the center of your wheel? What's happening there? Does it matter that the outside is moving? At the center of the wheel, it's still, isn't it? Nothing's happening. The outside could be moving very fast. You can have a lot of thoughts, feelings. The center of the wheel, just contacting that right now, the center of your being. It doesn't need anything to go away to feel this presence, this affectionate presence. So, in closing, I think one important thing to remember if there's anything that you do while you're here, it's just letting yourself feel the safety and the relaxation. Because if there's anything, that alone will carry you. It's very safe here. When I was on staff a number of years ago, uh, there was a uh, a carpenter who came in from local area from town and he was helping do some remodeling in the Catskills. And he said to our staff, he said, 
It's just so safe here. It's the first place I've been able to just leave my tools and walk away and not have to worry about someone stealing them. He'd never experienced that before. Being able to just leave his tools sitting out on a job. And I thought, what amazing thing that we, that we give here, that tremendous safety. You know, we've all taken the precepts last night. So you can trust this. You don't have to defend or figure anything out. You don't have to be hypervigilant. You don't have to obsess about anything. Everything's taken care of here. So truly, if you want to completely relax, you can do that. You know, we've really been running since we were like in the third grade. All of you guys, I know, I hear, you know, the stories. You know, since you were in third grade, you were planning on, you know, the grades, how, what good grades you were going to get so you could get into high school. And then when you got into high school, it was getting into college. And then when you get into college, it's getting into grad school. And then when you're getting into grad school, it's getting the good job. And then the next good job. It just never ends. And you had to take extracurricular activities. So you had a good, you know, presentation for college. And it just goes on and on and on. There's never any place where we get to just stop, except here. You can just stop. Stop the trying, the planning, the scheming. That's what mindfulness is. Just stopping. Letting that bowl of light come forward. Relaxing. And really seeing that whatever you're looking for, whatever you came for on retreat, it's here now. Might be at that center of your wheel. It just might be in the stillness of the sunset. It's right here. You don't have to, you know, spend seven days looking for it. Don't make that mistake. If there's anything about mindfulness, it's see that it's, it's right here. It's really, it's simple, but deep. Right here now. And then watch what pulls you away from it. Come back, right here now, what pulls you away. Don't have to figure anything out for the rest of the retreat. It's like a car with headlights. You just need a hundred feet of headlights. You don't need the ability to illuminate the whole night. Just right here now. And now is really all we need. When you look, that's mindfulness. So I'd like to end with a story. Um, well, it's actually not a, it's not a story. It's a reflection 
from Ruth Dennison, who is one of probably our oldest Vipassana teacher at this point. She's in, I think, her mid to late 80s. And she uh, almost died about a year ago, and she wrote a little bit about this. A few years ago, I had a fall, and then I developed a fever, and there was a moment when I thought, I won't make it. I saw the hindrances, and these are sleepiness, restlessness, craving, aversion, and doubt. I saw the hindrances close, almost materialized, but I did not allow them to come any closer. I was very much aware of the meaning of stop. There was a stillness in me. It was tangible. I could have slipped away, but in that moment I knew the power of mindfulness and I had no fear of death. I noticed that I was noticing, but it was even more refined than that. The knowing knew itself. And it was so precise. Nothing could interfere. I didn't want to die, but I had no conflict, no resistance. I saw that this is the way to stay right here, sensing the life force. When the breath came, I wasn't pulling it in or touching it, but I was being totally for it. I offered myself to it, and eventually I healed. So this is mindfulness, knowing, knowing itself, but not thinking about that, just sensing the life force, like she said. It's just that sensing the life force now, one moment at a time. This is our practice. So let's sit for a minute. Letting yourself feel this natural presence with what is. 
just knowing the life force that's all of us together knowing that each one of our efforts all our practice supports each other notice that you're being breathed right now each one of us is being breathed one moment at a time It's a pleasure to practice with you all. I know there's an announcement. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so tonight, we uh, the very last sit is just a short sit. It's 15 minutes, and there's a metta chant. So please come. Rebecca? Do I want to... What time is it? It's eight, almost 8.10. Quarter of? Okay, we're going to start it at quarter of. Eight thirty-five. Okay. Enjoy your walking. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org/donate.